I'm Jordan Weitzman, and you're listening to Magic Hour. In 1978, while living with her then-boyfriend Tony Conrad in Buffalo, Anne Turin founded Top Stories, a small independent press. Over the course of 13 years, she'd go on to publish 29 periodicals of experimental image and text work. She got avant-garde artists like Laurie Anderson, Kathy Acker, and Cookie Mueller on board, and basically gave them free reign to do what they wanted in between the covers and on them, as long as the Top Stories logo was on the front and an index of the previous issues was on the back. They're all so beautiful, and somehow when you look at them all together, there's a total through line in terms of how they all look and feel. I kind of fell in love with them and was just so curious to learn more about how it all came to be. We recorded the interview in New York, but because of the pandemic, decided on a big open room in Chelsea where we could be properly distanced. Here's our conversation. Hope you enjoy it. I used to have a goal that like, I would never pay taxes. Like, I'd always just live <laughs> below the poverty level. Like, I mean, you know, I was like growing up in the 60s. And then um, Toronto is really important to me because my first job, my first co-op was in Toronto. And so Toronto, I would pass through Toronto, and I'm pretty sure it was in 1975. I was by myself in Toronto, and I went to the AGO, and there was this show, and I thought I did not like comic books. Like, no, like, not interested. And there was a show of this guy named Martin Von James, and it was so interesting, and it was published by Coach House Press. And we didn't have the internet. I don't know. I just walked over to Coach House Press. You know them? Mm-hmm. So I just walked over and like bought some books. And then I was obsessed. And I remember having this thought that publishing would be an honorable way to make a living. Mm-hmm. Like, I, you know, I was maybe a year from graduation or maybe it, I was a senior. It may have been the beginning of my senior year. And then um, I'd broken up with a boyfriend that I'd had for a long time at, at Antioch. And there's always this sad part, but this happy part when you're young, because who else is out there? Mm-hmm. I remember thinking, oh, maybe I'd like to be with a writer. And then it was like I slapped myself upside the head in my mind, <laughs> like, no, you be a writer. Like, that is mm-hmm. the stupidest thing, right? Mm-hmm. You don't need to be with someone who's a writer, but I guess I want to talk about it and think about it, right? When I got out of school, I ended up moving to Buffalo. I was doing photography, and, and I was really interested in reading, writing and reading. And I'd never really, I'd taken one literature class in college, and it was so, I so didn't like it. I didn't want them to ruin it, like ruin reading for me. When I first moved to Buffalo, it was so depressed there, like economically. I would like go to the rare book room at UB and just, because the books I was interested in reading, I couldn't find anywhere. I remember there was this one person that I would go read there, a British writer, that I couldn't find her books in the bookstores. They may have only been European. And then there, and at one point, like, I guess it's kind of weird. I remember it always being empty, and I'd go and I'd ask for the book, and I could sit there and read it. And I'd come back. And the librarian said to me, what are you interested in? I said, art and writing. And she goes, you're interested in concrete poetry. And I knew what it was, but I wasn't interested in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was actually interested in, like, I didn't know what I was interested in. But one of the p- people I was reading there was this woman, Christine Brooke Rose. One of the professors said, 
oh, the post-structuralist Christine Brooke Rose. So I was like, okay, that's what she is. <laughs> you know, they're very hard books, to, like novels, like that you have to really concentrate. But anyway, I, we would go to New York and I'd come back with a pile of books, probably from the Strand, you know, and then mm -hmm. read them and I'd loan people these books that I liked. It was mostly, it was prose and it was mostly fiction, it was fiction. Everyone seemed to like it, and I saw these black sparrow pamphlets. I don't know if you've ever seen them. They were like mm -mm. 50 cents, like stapled, about the size of Top Stories, but just a self-cover, like all on the same kind of like poetry paper, like a little bit textured. Mm -hmm. But like Bukowski, I'm trying to think of, you know, Robert Creeley, I'm trying to think of, you know, I picked them up and I love this, like 50 cents, like no one's not gonna buy it. Mm -hmm. Like that seemed really cool. I don't know, and so then it sort of evolved into this, like I could do a pamphlet, but I wanted a real cover on it. Mm -hmm. And so at the beginning they were just a dollar, because I liked this idea that it wouldn't stop anyone. So it was all these kinds of things that you're like, you're seeing and taking in, and you're like grabbing little bits yeah. and pieces from them, and slowly putting it together. The accessibility of it, that it only costs a dollar. Yeah. You're starting to think about the covers. Are you even consciously thinking of doing top stories at the time? Yeah, or, or, I think I was yeah? somehow. Yeah, I was thinking about it because, you know, I'm not going to be able to avoid the whole conversation without saying, you know, who my boyfriend was at the time, mm -hmm. why I moved to Buffalo. Like, why would you move to Buffalo? It was so depressed. Mm -hmm. But my boyfriend was um, this artist, Tony Conrad. Mm -hmm. And so he had been given like a temporary, like a teaching job there. So I moved to Buffalo. So we would go to New York a lot. And I remember, I knew I was gonna do it, so it must have been 78, and we were gonna have this long drive to New York. I said, okay, we've gotta name my magazine. I thought it was gonna take the whole day. <laughs> we weren't even to like an hour out of the city. I could point on the map where we were, and I say, I want the word stories in the title. So we were bouncing around things, and then he goes, top stories, and I go, that's it. And that we were done. We had the rest of the ride to just do whatever we wanted, right? I mean, isn't it amazing with names how, like, sometimes they just come so easily and sometimes yeah. you could rack your brain forever? Yeah. And it's like, you always wish it's the former, but it doesn't yeah. always happen that way. Yeah, that worked out really great. So Tony Conrad, partially responsible for Velvet Underground? Yeah. Is that right? That Tony Conrad. That yeah. Tony Conrad. <laughs> so he, yeah. right. There was an article published in The Guardian before he died, like a year or so before. I don't know if it was the same year or the year before, where he said, like, I've influenced a lot of things, but you don't even know that I did, you know? Right. Yeah, he could have been in the Velvet Underground. He, like, he didn't want to do that, like. But amazing art, experimental filmmaker. Yeah, yeah. and writer. I mean, yeah, so that was incredible for me, because we just did art all the time. Right. Like my son was asking me, like when you first moved out, of, you know, and you lived with Tony, something about like costs are really different now. And I said, our rent was $60 a month. Wow. But the place was unbelievable. It didn't even have a refrigerator. Hmm. And well, we were probably vegetarian, but like Tony would just take the frozen peas and stick them into the snow because it was a historically huge snowfall that year, mm -hmm. more than Alaska. Like it was the blizzard of 77. I mean, we lived in a tiny little space that wasn't supposed to be a space, like a living space. It had no foundation, and it was in Buffalo. 
So, but it was cheap, and so we just did art all the time. You're living and just making things. Well, what he used to say was that, no, we were going to things, because when I first moved mm. there, Tony would like to say that it was the second biggest city in New York, so we got all this funding, and the university was there. So basically, we could see culture every night of the week. Like, sometimes it was hard because there were, we have to decide, because there was Media Study Buffalo, which had video screenings and film screenings two or three times a week. The Albright had some stuff. I remember meeting John Cage. Because wow. of Tony, you know, I would get to go to these dinners. I was, you know, the young girlfriend, right? And so, um, you know, I remember John Cage was at the Albright. I guess Tony went up to talk to him and, you know, brought me. And it was like, I stood there and talked to John Cage. What was, I, he, what was he like? Do you remember? I remember. He's sweet. Yeah. I was just, <laughs> I loved his writing, you know, so mm -hmm. that was really cool. And we just, it was just about... Yeah, making art and looking at art. Right. But anyway, so I just had this idea to do this, like, in 78, so I got there in, like, September of 76. You're living in Buffalo, you're driving to New York with Tony. A lot, a lot, you're yeah. So you're, you're coming back and forth. Are you making friends with the people who you would start to publish, or did you know them already? Mm, no, like... Were you approaching people that you... Uh, the, yeah, I mean, the fun part of Top Stories and probably part of the reason I stopped doing it, like, it's just really fun to invite someone to do one. Right. And I will say in the first 10, one person approached me. But um, for the most part, up until, like, I don't know, for the first 20, or I, I think it was all by invitation. So when you would approach someone, would you give any direction? No, it was just basically, do you want to do an issue? And at the beginning, they were maybe only like 16 pages. You know, it has to be multiples of four. And mm -hmm. I didn't have much money because the money they gave me turned out was also my salary. It was all the same, <laughs> like a mm -hmm. couple hundred. I don't remember how much it was. It wasn't a lot of money. The thing that I'm curious about in terms of direction is that like, they're all so unique but are also so tied together, like both in form and content in a way. Yeah. Like they all have a, a kind of uncanny, lyrical, strange quality to them. Was that like a discussion? Like you could do anything, but just like make it weird. No, or like, or, no, no. Or, or, or just art, everyone just knew what to do. I, I think it's just what the kind of work I liked. You know, it's just, it yeah. was what I was interested in. But like when I would hand the books out to my friends, when I was just reading and buying stuff at the Strand, they liked the stuff I liked. And, you know, when I start Top Stories, I thought I was publishing literature. Mm. I never said, these are the parameters. So then when, the, when Jane Dixon said, you should look at Janet Stein's work, who did comics. I mean, Janet Stein's just an incredibly, incredibly talented, creative person, like unbelievable. So she had been doing these comics. And I went over and spent a day with her really liked him just on the spot said do you want to do one you know do a top stories and um so that was yet another way you could have images and words i guess that's the other big through line or the thing that i mean other than good taste that connects <laughs> them all that so many of them deal in image text and it's so funny because it's such a a parallel to to a lot of your work to yeah. a lot of your photo work that that's a pervasive interest yeah I guess you, you sort of answered it already, but I was just curious if that was a discussion. Like, do what you want, but like, maybe like image and text could be. Like, I never articulate any of that, but right. I was, with my students, I'll say something about, you, know, you think here and you think here. Mm -hmm. what, so, do you mean by, what do you mean by that? Like, when you think at the back of your head, it's like, you don't even know you're thinking, but you're working out things. 
Mm-hmm. Think of the front of the head where it's like, how am I going to get the air conditioner through the door? You know? <laughs> uh-huh. Do you know? And to me, it's the back of the head is like, like I had this job when I first moved to New York. It was a Hawaiian restaurant in Times Square with a show. So you'd have those drinks and then they'd be playing little tiny bubbles, you know, this. And I was two floors above in a dark room and the girls who were ladies would go take pictures with a press camera of the people when they got their drinks. Right. And then they'd ring a buzzer, put the film, it was two and a quarter sheet film. They'd put it in a basket, ring the bell, and I'd go like this and pull it up to the third floor, <laughs> develop it real quick, which I had learned in, when I had this job in Canada in college, develop a hot developer in like 30 to 45 seconds, okay. print it wet, and then we would just have to make judgment calls on who was with who in the picture. So it would be like a bunch of people around the table. So we'd do a couple of big ones and they'd go, just go through the stabilization so they're ready in like a minute. It just goes through this machine and comes out a little bit damp. Terrible chemicals. And then we'd make little ones like this, like, oh, those two look like they're a couple. You know, and then they go down and try to sell it to them. <laughs> and the one woman I worked with was like, they go, well, what's going to happen to the photos if we don't? buy them and she'd be like they're gonna go to photo heaven like to try to get them to buy the photos um that's a wild job that was a wild job how long did you do that for mm, I don't know, a year year and a half i don't remember but uh-huh. but then i guess i knew that it was really unhealthy uh-huh. like the ventilation and what because the, there were musicians and then they come up to the third floor and smoke weed it was really hard work on saturdays it went way later like till three in the morning but on that job, it was like I knew it was bad for me. And I think I was just thinking in the back of my mind, one day I just go, I quit. And it wasn't really impulsive because it had been going back and forth in my brain. And one day, it wasn't like anyone got me mad. You know what I mean? It wasn't like one of these, yeah, I'm leaving, like, and slamming. It wasn't like that. I just left a note and said, that's it for me. Mm. I'm done. You know what I mean? And it was like I was thinking of it in the back of my mind. And there, I think there's a way that you work out things I call it in the back of your mind or deep in there. You're not even really words. It's not analytical. Maybe some people would say, like, left and right or something. But I say it's the front and the back of your mind, you mm-hmm. know? And so there were things like that's just working out in the back of my mind. I never said this is what Top Story is going to be. It's going to be literature but then no one thought it was necessarily literature it was just it, it was intuitive and right. organic let's right. just say that and until it wasn't anymore and that's maybe when you stopped doing it why yeah why did i stop i don't know like it was partly that publishing maybe had changed like because now people had computers and stuff like that like you know i had to get the typesetting done by people um i when i first moved to new york i got this sort of like internship grant to work for this magazine called Unmuzzled Ox. Did you ever see Unmuzzled Ox? No. That was so cool. Like, he was hanging around with, like, Daniel Berrigan, and Gregory Corso was always in the office. You know, sort of like, he was probably seven or eight or ten years older than me. So he is a slightly different crowd than what I was looking at. But Gregory Corso was always there, and he just contacted me because he was very involved with, like, the Berrigans and... So on a Halloween in 81, I guess, and he wants some more pictures, he asked me, because like, I had the camera, like, come, and it was a reading at Washington Square Park, and it was like Ginsburg, and this guy Michael Andre, and apparently there's some pictures of Berrigan, some other people who want me to go through the contact sheet. I mean, I think I know where they are. And um, anyway, he had this, 
It's not exactly a typewriter. I don't know what it's called. It's like a typewriter, but you print it on this special paper that was green on the back. And the paper was a little chalky. So you type out the text. But if you made a typo, which I made a lot of because I didn't know how to type, <laughs> you had to type the sentence again and take a brand new, extremely sharp exacto knife and go to the light table and put the original text that you had and then the corrected letter or word on top of it, line it up and cut through the two. That's why it had to be really sharp and then take the bad one out and put the new one in. Like, that's incredible. Okay, it's not as hard as Gutenberg. Yeah. But it, it was time consuming. Other than that, I had two friends that did, it was called back then photo typesetting, like they knew how to type and they would work either for publishers or something so I would either pay them in their off hour, they would do it. So it was a computer, but back then a huge computer, right? And they would typeset it, you know, or they'd give me versions or then I'd correct it. Or actually for some of my own work, one of my friends snuck me in because she worked on the weekend at night and the other employee didn't care. So she snuck me in and set me up. That was for my flashbulb memories and I was able to typeset it. You know, like put it into the computer and then they print it out. Right. I'm just curious. There's one that I'm particularly interested in, which is the Cookie Mueller one. Yeah. And I guess Cookie had some little grant and she had never done a book. And Cookie just sort of left me everything and she was going to Italy for the summer like she would, right? Mm -hmm. I think it was 84. So she just left me and said, use these photographers like David Armstrong, Nan Golden, and Peter Hujar use them and like hear the stories and this is how it should be and the cutest thing ever was cookie said i want an index and in one of the reviews someone had said what a cool index it was we didn't know how to make an index but gail vashon who did number six became a good friend and she was one of the ones that did typesetting so i said to gail made the index like we no one went to school like we didn't know she made an index you know so there's an index in the back so cookie had I want this letter in the front, I want these stories, I want before and after pictures. And here are the photographers and bye. She was putting in some money and she said, I want a spine. So Cookie knew what she wanted. Hmm. Because up until then they had just been stapled. So I did it. And so I went to Nan, you know, and we had to pick out some pictures. Right, like we went through slides and I had internegatives made to make them so we could print them in black and white. and then. I spent an afternoon with Peter Hujar, at least one afternoon. It was really nice, like picking out the photos. But I was really hung up on this before and after, like Cookie said, put pimples on them. And I guess I, he was so nice. And I was saying like, I don't know what, I don't know, I don't get it. Like, what does she want me to do? He goes, bring me the photos and just took like a, do you know what a pitograph is? It was this, mm -hmm. like a special art fountain pen, I guess you would call it. And he just put these black dots. Like, I didn't realize Cookie wanted it so obvious or whatever. So he did all the pimples in the whole book for me. What did she want in the index? She just wanted an index. Just she, wanted an index. Yeah, like that would make it a real book, like a spine and an index. And uh -huh. she'd be like in heaven. Like, she didn't tell us what to put in the index. I'm Jordan Weitzman, and you're listening to my conversation with Anne Turin that we recorded in New York. You can follow us on Instagram at Magic Hour Podcast, where you can see more of Turin's work and find out more about the show. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Your work is in, you know, the most major collections in the world. You're an, an extremely serious photographer. You've been teaching photography for years. Were you just working all the time? Was it like I guess a, that was yeah? just, you know, it's like what we did in Buffalo, like just make art. But, you know... I didn't start teaching till 85. Mm -hmm. So there was this really productive, you know, the early 80s were really productive. And when I first started teaching, it was just one day a week. So it was just like going to a gig, you know, like I, there was this commercial darkroom I used to work in when they needed me and when I could fit into my schedule. Like, you know, it was like that kind of freelance thing. I think I stopped doing that when I got the teaching gig because then it's like, okay, one day a week and I know my rent is paid or something, you know, uh -huh. like. The very first job I had when I moved to New York was working on Tulsa by Larry Clark. Really? Well, what it was was my friend had already moved here, like a couple, a friend from Buffalo had moved like a month or two before. And through people he knew from grad school, this guy, Adal Moldonado, was printing a portfolio of Tulsa. So it was like 1980. Ten it years was, after it, con yeah. it came out. Yeah, he was yeah. printing it in the El Museo de Bar del Barrio. There was a darkroom there. So I would go up and my friend was sick of it. It was like maybe $5 an hour, which was a way above minimum wage, right? And all I was allowed to do was take the print either from like the fixer to the water or maybe from the stop to the fixer because a doll was doing everything. I need a lot of burning and dodging and stuff. And then Larry would come through every so often and just like, yeah, they look good or whatever. And then I had a job at the Soho Weekly in the darkroom. Same kind of thing when, you know, it wasn't necessarily regular, but I would, when they needed me, I, I don't remember if it was regular. It's a lot of technical work, a lot of darkroom work, a lot of printing work. Yeah. As, I mean, you must have been really busy because you're also making work. I was trying, yeah. So the top story stuff, you know, you're inviting people to work with you. Yeah. You're distributing it. You're printing yeah. it. It, it. It's a lot of collaboration. And even this work, like the darkroom work, it's like you're getting jobs. You're working in places. You're surrounded by people. Yeah. But making photos, especially the, the photos that you were making at the time, that seems like much more of a solitary activity. Yeah. Was that like a, a contrast or just something else? Well, that you were, Just another part of your life? or? Some of them, I you know, I had to have models, people. I mean, I wouldn't use professional models, just like friends or whatever come over. Mm -hmm. So I would have, I don't know, I was just doing art all the time. Like, I remember one time Jenny Holzer called me, <laughs> nine in the morning, I was still sleeping. <laughs> I am a, like a late night person, especially when I was working at that job in the dark room. I mean, on Saturdays, I was working till three in the morning. Because um, people used to just call people because no one had internet or anything like that. Yeah, no, I guess I, there were a lot of people around, but yeah, it was just my own time because I didn't really, except for getting my rent paid, there was no obligations, right? It all changed, like right. teaching and having kids and stuff. Was there any hierarchy to different work or was it just all part of your life and practice? You I know what I mean by that? All, I guess it was all the same. I mean, I did notice at one point... Filling top stories orders at one point was fun because it's sort of mindless and you just jump in and it means money's coming in. 
right. right? So I'd like enjoy that. That would be easy to get into. When I first moved to New York, a friend from college, who's like a painter, artist, had said to me, she'd already been living in New York for a couple of years. She said that someone told her that um, the people that do the best are people that can get in and out of their work quickly. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because you're doing this freelance gig and then you come home, like you just have to grab the time. I see. Yeah. And I think about that a lot now because I'm bad now at the transition. Like I'll be getting work done and that's why I end up staying too late because I'm getting work done and it's not like I'm just going to pick it up in the morning. It's going to take me all day to get back into it. Right. You feel like that's changed over the years? Yeah, and I don't know. I think it's me, but I mean, it could be the world too. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I mean, Tony would talk about how little they had to pay, what percentage of their rent they had to pay to survive versus even when I moved here in 1980. Yeah. There's something that I love about uh, the, even just the way you're describing the way your life was or just life in general was as an artist back then, which seems so refreshing in a way, at, com, you know, compared to today where it's like, you know, you know, most people when they think of being an artist, it's like thinking about like the art world and being like an art star and, and having like oh. a super like financially successful career out of it. Yeah. And whereas like the way you're describing it, it it's just fun, fun and you're doing it and you're just figuring out how to survive and, and kind of just make it all work. It was like all play and it was just fun, you know, like what could I do in tops? Oh, that would be cool. Or that would be, or Ursula Molinaro. That's so cool. You know, and then I'm going to have it open from both sides because I've seen books like that, you know, cause I'm collecting crap, you know, yeah. I'm looking at old stuff. Um, it was, yeah, it was just fun. And I remember when I was moving to New York, a bunch of us from Buffalo moved at the, around the same time. And one of my friends in New York said, oh, you're moving to New York to make your name or something like that. And I was like, huh? No, it's because <laughs> all the fun stuff is in New York. Yeah. Do you miss that activity at all? Do you, like, I mean, yeah, the, the I mean, publishing I feel, and... I do feel bad. Like, you know, really, honestly, it's so embarrassing. Like, why did I stop doing top stories? The world changed a little bit. But also, this is terrible, like, to admit. Well, okay, when I was at Unmuzzled Ox, I remember he said to me, a lot of people are better at their second love. Mm-hmm. I thought he meant that I was better at top stories than at photography. And maybe, maybe. You know, but it was, like, so easy. It was just fun. What wasn't fun was getting unsolicited manuscripts. Mm. That started making it really not fun. And then, you know, there was this top... City Lights published a book, Top Top Stories. I always say, like, if you're on the balance beam, I was never very good at that kind of gymnastics. I did bad, real bad. <laughs> so if you're on the balance beam, but you think too much, you might fall. Like, you're doing fine, or like riding no hands, but then if you start thinking about it, that's what happened. It felt like all of a sudden, it's this thing, and it did feel like an end. It could have just been the second chapter, but I felt really overwhelmed with unsolicited manuscripts. Like now it seems easy. You can just put on your website, no unsolicited manuscripts by invitation only. How simple is that? You know, it probably took me 10 years. It was, I'm sure it was in the 2000s that I still had a box of manuscripts where people put envelopes with stamps on it and I never wrote back. Uh, we didn't um, talk about the Kathy Acker one. We should talk about, shouldn't we talk about the Kathy Acker? Let's talk about the Kathy Acker. So the Kathy Acker. That's one of the my. That's one of your favorites or, or your most per, um, personal? Well, you know, the Kathy Acker one, again, I wasn't coming from literature, right? And I wasn't trained to design, right? And 
I love Toronto, right? Because I had that, and then the coach house. And then, so then living in Buffalo, we would go to Toronto too. And then um, I met the, like, Judith Doyle, cause th their A space, and then she was doing some publishing and Acker was hanging out there. So when I first moved to Buffalo, I'm pretty sure we went up there and there was this paper, do you know what the only paper today? Only paper today it was called. It was like a newspaper tabloid, but it was about art. And I read this interview with Kathy Acker and it was like, the voice is changing, you know. I was like, I am interested in this person, you know. And then she came to Buffalo a couple times. I mean, the second time I invited her. So then I, you know, invited her to do the top stories. Kathy Acker had a reputation that preceded her. And I could just tell. I don't know, somehow I, I knew that she might be difficult. And I never wanted to be in a fight with anyone. You know, I didn't want to have any bad feelings. So I was a little bit, she was friendlier. I was a little bit at arm's length. But we, we, one night we went to the performing garage and had pizza and I remember she said to me, what are the issues in photography? She's so smart, Kathy Acker. I was like, I don't know, scale? And I, that was like so stupid, but MoMA had just had this show with like Tina Barney with big photos because it was a new thing and it just seemed really stupid, right? And then I asked one of my friends like from grad school who was in New York like, what are the issues in photography? He goes, I couldn't sleep all night. I kept thinking, what are the issues in photography? We also weren't thinking quite as analytically. But anyway, I asked her if she wanted to do one. And this is one thing that, like if my today self could talk to the old self, she gave me something, but it had been published before. You know, in retrospect, I should have said, could you give me something unpublished? But I was just, okay. And she goes, but I'd like, photos with it, can you, get, can you get some great New York photographer? So I was thinking of like, I, all my friends were photographers, like we'd each do a photo or something, and then one of my friends said, no, you should just do it. And I felt, you know, I was very humble, like I didn't want to take it for me, it wasn't my platform, top stories, do you know what I mean? Like, but I did. And I have this letter from her where she says, as for pictures, what I really like is as far as books go, Collaborating with an artist, not just using pictures to illustrate subordinate role, but having another mind desire to destroy my egotism and multiply the energy. However, since you're the publisher, it's finally your decision. But it's hard for me to say, oh, just a picture on the cover, a picture of this and this, when what I desire is a whole, a whole visual language object. How about a sort of Russian constructivist-like object? Do you have any ideas? I know people in New York City who would help, and I'm sure you do too. Why not making it amazing as long as we're making it? Love, Kathy. Amazing letter. And I didn't remember that letter until I went through the archive like three years ago for the show. But that was my sense. Anyway, I was not going to illustrate it, right? And all I remember, I don't remember if we sent it, mailed it back and forth, or I showed it to her in person. But have you seen that top stories, the Kathy Acker top stories? I have it with me, actually. Okay, yeah, yeah. so it starts with closed legs and ends with open legs, right. right? So I had thought, like I just thought that up. I started with open legs and then closed it. But I don't have a literature background. Kathy goes, oh no, we should switch those two because a novel's supposed to open up, like mm. open up at the end. 
Ah. That was so great. But, but, but whose idea were the legs? Because the legs are, it's like mine. a different kind of um, visual treatment I, than the actual photos. It was photos. mine. I mean, I put yours. them in there, but I thought it goes open and closed at the end, and she was the one that said switch them. So then like three years ago, did you ever see this? Uh, no, probably not. Not that one, but I, I do love that series. Penguin UK republished. So they write to me and say they want to republish this Kathy Acker. So I revisited all the film. And I scanned, you know, scanned it and everything. And I tell my students, oh my God, I thank my younger self. Because in some ways, I used to be more organized, you know, before I had kids and stuff. But I would keep the negatives. They used to make these things and it was like glass scenes, but they, they weren't glassing, they were plastines. And they folded up and then they were in a piece of paper that had a folder. So I'd write like New York City in 1979, right? But what I did was at the top, I would write which negative numbers I printed. Oh, I thank my younger self. Because a lot of them are really similar. It would have taken me so much time. Was it this negative or was it this negative? I scanned them all and sent them the scans, but I insisted on seeing it. The layout person clearly didn't read the book because mm -hmm. it was just as if they were rando pictures. But it's like it will say something about the dyke sitting next to me saying earlier in the evening she pulled at the safety pin and there's a safety pin like in a kilt. Huh. But you can't have that picture three pages later. People just aren't that smart. Right. I spent a weekend relaying out the whole thing. They just totally didn't get that it was just, like when it says it's a party, you can't put this earlier or a few pages later. Right. And yeah. then I went back to Kathy's original manuscript because there was a page like she wanted blank. You know, she wanted a blank, and so I actually, they probably hate me, you know, because I am a micromanager, but it had to be right. It yeah. had to be right, and for what Kathy wanted. Well, so, I get that, and, and it's your baby, so you know, it's you, 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 yeah. you worked hard. I mean, it, they so, hardly, yeah. yeah, they hardly paid me anything, so the least they could do is get it right. Yeah. I don't know if it's all, or most of the artists you work with, it's all women. Oh, yeah. All women. It took you a while to get to that one. But, <laughs> but was that conscious or? It wasn't conscious until around number seven. Mm -hmm. When I was in Buffalo, Tony and I had been in Europe in the summer because he'd been in Documenta. And I came back, I think I had been going to the grad classes because I was invited. Like I ran into the grad teacher somewhere at the Eastman House in Rochester. He goes, why don't you come to our classes? Like this was a different, so I would just come to the classes to the crits of the grad students. And then he goes, why don't you apply? You might get, you know, an assistantship. So I applied and I found out that like my favorite writer, Walter Abish, was gonna be teaching a class flying up from New York. I'd never heard of anything like this. Flying up every Thursday for a class. So I thought I'm enrolling. So I was in the art department in the photography but I was taking creative writing as well. And there was like hardly anyone in the class. People weren't taking creative writing. It's a huge literature department, but they're all like gonna be PhDs in literature and teach, you know, teach writing. So that was incredible. So, and then I, so I liked it so much, I then took a class with this guy, Ray Fetterman, who's like experimental. And I think I might've asked Ray or one of them, like, Ray, would you want to do an issue? I, I have a publisher. He's French. So he'd be like, I have a publisher. Um, so it just sort of happened that it was all women. And then by number seven, it was like, oh, yeah, it's all women. You know, like, I'll go with it. You know? Mm -hmm. I mean, believe me, there were photographers I would have liked to have published, 
but I was really hung up on how crap, like that you couldn't reproduce photos well, that it wouldn't look good. Like it was suggested, like I knew Nan, that Nan, but I thought that's not, and I'm, to take her color and put it in black and white, like I didn't even ask her, maybe that's not right because I shouldn't be making the decision for people or Cindy, sure, I knew Cindy, but again, her work wasn't really supposed to be narrative. I mean, I loved it, but, um, so there were people I didn't ask, you know, that like it crossed my mind, but it didn't. So anyway, the Kathy Acker, I wish I had. I have, I have over here actually, because I brought it because I wanted you to, I would see if you'd, if you'd sign it to me, hang on. <laughs> Yeah, it's a little bit, it's a little bit banged up. Banged up, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a first edition, is it? Oh, <gasps> it's a first edition? First edition, yeah. Well, that's pretty cool. Do you ever like to inscribe? Not very often, <laughs> but um, the thing about the first, that was the one, see, because I did it on that typewriter. Yeah. I didn't have a way to make big type. So it was like this. So then when, and that's one of the changes I made when I did the second edition, I had it typeset. Like, so you could see it more. So I can tell immediately if it's a first or second edition. And then I mean, if you looked at the back, you could tell too. Oh, yeah. It's really been a pleasure talking with you. Thanks so much. Thank you. Okay. That was my conversation with Anne Turin that we recorded in New York. This episode is produced by me, Jordan Weitzman, and was edited by Crystal Duhame. Original music for the show by Adam Feingold. To find out more about the podcast, you can visit us at magichourpodcast.org and follow us on Instagram at magichourpodcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Happy holidays and see you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.